welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's open with this prayer from the 16th century. It's out of the Book of Common Prayer, and it goes like this. Let's pray together. Father, make your way known upon the earth. Lord God, save by your power all people. Renew your church in holiness and help us to serve you with joy. Guide the leaders of all nations that justice may prevail throughout the world. Let not the needy be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Make us instruments of your peace and let your glory be over all the earth. Father, that's our prayer tonight as we open your word. We especially want to pray that you would be glorified in all that we do, all that we think, all that we feel. Lord, we pray that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds tonight as we open your word. So thankful for this book of Romans. We're so thankful for our trip through it this year, and just all the ways that you have challenged us in it and encouraged us, rebuked us. Lord, it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing to have our minds renewed, and we pray that you would continue that work tonight as we open this chapter and enjoy what you have for us here, Lord. We are your children, 
We delight to hear from you, our Father, and we're so thankful that you've been so faithful to always come and meet with us here. Lord, we don't want to hear the thoughts of a man or the ideas of a man. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear what you have for us, and we pray that that would happen. And we pray, Lord, that you would make our hearts good soil for your word. Lord, we know from the parables of your son that we could come in with stony hearts or the enemy could pluck it out of our hearts. And Lord, we don't want that. We want our hearts to be good soil for your word. So we pray even now that you'd be changing our hearts, even before we hear your word, that we would be ready and eager and willing to receive it with joy and have it transform us. And we pray that you do all this for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. So we're here in the book of Romans, and we've been in Romans all year. And uh, we took a turn in the book of Romans a few weeks ago. It was a good turn. It's chapter 12, and uh, what we're noticing here is that the first 11 chapters of Romans are mostly about God's amazing grace for us, what he's done for us in Jesus, what he is doing for us in Jesus, what he will do for us in Jesus. It's mostly about God's grace to us, and the last five chapters, starting in chapter 12 that we're in tonight, is largely our response to the gospel. If you look at verse 1 there in Romans 12, and you're going to want to be open to this because this is no fun unless you look at it. It's a lot more fun if you look at it. So take a look at Romans 12. What you'll notice in verse 1 is that he says that our only reasonable response to the gospel would be to offer our whole lives as a living sacrifice, that we give our whole selves to him. This is the reasonable response to God's grace. And what this shows us, guys, is it shows us how sanctification works. It shows us how we're changed. We're changed by being changed by seeing the gospel. As we see God's grace more and more, we're able to respond out of gratitude. As Gabe was sharing earlier from the catechism, we don't obey God to get something from him. We're obeying out of gratitude. It's a response to his grace. And the whole book of Romans is set up that way, where it's you know 11 chapters mostly of just giving God's grace and then showing us how to respond to it. And so that's where we're at now. And two weeks ago, we saw that though we want to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, the world's always trying to to pull our minds towards the way it thinks and have us do the things it does. And so we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We saw that in chapter two. And then last week we saw in verse three that we can't do this alone. And we saw in verse four through eight that we were made to be a part of a body. We're not ourselves the body of Christ individually. We've been born again to be a part, a living part of the body, united by the Holy Spirit together with a local manifestation of the body of Christ so that together as we use our gifts, the Holy Spirit produces a picture of Jesus for the world to see. And so what we're doing as we gather is super important. And where we're going to be now is in verses 9 and further. And these verses kind of puzzle people a little bit because the rest of Romans is laid out in, in really clear logical steps and you can figure out how to diagram it and stuff like that. These next verses, as you probably saw, are a bunch of short, kind of punchy, quick statements. Some people have been really confused by this because it's tough to outline it. What do I do with it? It, it seems like maybe it's kind of Paul's kind of Twitter feed where he's just putting out different ideas he has. But it isn't. If you look at it carefully, you'll see there is a theme going through the rest of this chapter, and the theme is really love, okay? And so verses 9 through 13 are mostly about how we love one another here in this group, in the body. And then verses 14 through 21 are mostly, not entirely, how we love those outside. And so that's how we're going to kind of break this up. The theme of it is love. So we're going to look at tonight is that the love we have for each other in the body. And this little section of Romans 9 through 13 is kind of like the 1 Corinthians 13 of Romans. You'll get that vibe as we go through it, that it's kind of this statement about what love is like. 
The Greek word that he uses here, many of you will know who grew up in church, but it's the word agape, is the word for love that he's mostly using in here. He uses one other word in here too. But the early Christians did something interesting. Agape wasn't a word that was used very much in that culture at the time. And so they took this word for love that really wasn't getting a lot of mileage anyway. And they took it and they went, you know what? We're going to use this word and we're going to have this be the name for the love that Jesus has given us and the name that we're going to give to each other. So they kind of co-opted this not very much used word to show a whole new kind of love. And Paul, in this passage, in verse 9, he actually puts a definite article in front of it. He calls it the agape. So you could be sitting around, a Christian would be sitting around, and he goes, hey, remember the agape? And they'd be like, oh, yes, the agape. You know, it's, it's a thing. It's a type of love that's unique amongst God's people. It's a kind of love that Jesus himself brought into the world. It's a genuine love. Look at verse 9. Let love be genuine. This is the real deal. This is a love that is so unique amongst God's people that when the world sees it, they become convinced of the truth of the gospel. Jesus said that was his strategy. In John 13, he said this, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then listen to this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's an if there, right? All people will know that we're truly Jesus' disciples if we have this kind of special love for each other, and it's something that can be seen. A little bit later in John 17, when he was praying to his father, Jesus said this. He says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That our unity as a body, our love that we have, would, one, show that we're really Jesus' disciples to the world, and two, it is an apologetic. It shows the world that Jesus really is the Messiah. Jesus really is the one sent from God to be the Savior. You see how important this is? How important the love in here is? And one thing to say is it's super important that we love people out there, okay? That's super important. We're going to get to that next week. But what Jesus is saying there is that the world is largely brought to the attention of the gospel, not by how we love them, but how they see us love each other. Isn't that interesting? You might think it's just how you would love people out there, that that would be the, the big thing. But Jesus said, no, they're going to see us as a local body of believers and see our love for one another. And that's what's going to convince the world that we're truly his disciples and that he was truly sent from God, that he truly is the Messiah. It's our love for one another. And notice that there's an if there. We will function in that way. We will be successful on our mission to the degree that we love one another with this kind of love. And remember last week I was talking to you guys about how this is how the West was won. This is how Western culture was won over. Don't forget, this was written to an actual body, a very small body of believers in Rome, in the Roman Empire in the first century. And these last five chapters here are really God's directive of how that little band of believers is supposed to convert the empire. And you know what? It worked. We know historically it worked. We know that over the next few centuries, tons and tons of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. We know that there was a complete change of culture that occurred because of the effect of God's people. Whether you're a Christian or not, a lot of your values are actually Christian. They're not Greco-Roman. You know, we looked at that last week, how, you know, it was common in Greco-Roman culture, totally fine for powerful men to take advantage of weaker women or weaker men. It was totally fine to 
you know, expose children to, to practice infanticide. It was totally fine to have slaves and to treat them as living tools. I mean, all these things were very normal. Why aren't they very normal now? It's because of God's people and their mission and how they lived as the church in their community. And more and more people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so whether you're a Christian or not, your deepest value is about like human dignity and equality of all people. And even your very concept of love and goodness, they aren't Greco-Roman. They're Christian. And they're Christian because God's people were faithful to do the very things in this text. Isn't that amazing? And we can see it happening today in places like China. How is that happening? You know, how are they kind of taking over culture in the way they are? It's by practicing the very things in here. It's especially by practicing their love for one another. That's what Jesus said would happen as his body lives in every city, showing who he is, and it's through loving one another. So what does that love look like? I see seven things in verses uh, 9 through 13. Had to be seven. You know, could have done eight, could have done nine, but those are not right numbers. So we're going to do seven. There's seven things that I see here, seven descriptions of what the agape is like, what love is like. And I don't want you guys to go like, oh yeah, I already know what love is. We already said this is unique. This is not normal human love. This is a special kind of love that God has given to us and that we're to give to one another. First thing that love does is love hates. It's a fun way to start. Look at verse nine. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Interesting thing is here to start with is that love hates. Genuine love is the real deal, isn't mere pleasantness. It isn't mere happy face, pat you on the back. It isn't some kind of, uh, you know, sloppy agape, right? It's a particular thing. Real love doesn't just smile and wave as they see their friends driving off a cliff, Right? Real love has guts. Real love has things that it clings to and things that it hates. Real love, guys, hates evil. That word, the Greek word there, abhor, is a very strong word meaning to hate exceedingly. Real love hates evil that harms the ones we love. Amen? Whether that is something that profanes God's name because we love him, so we hate it, or whether it's something that harms people we love because we love them, sin is destructive. Sin profanes the glory of God. It hurts the people we love. And so we don't have kind of a passive, dispassionate feeling towards sin. I think that's happening a lot to us, all of us in this culture, is we're being desensitized and we're, you know, through entertainment and various different means, we're being desensitized to evil such that we think it's loving to just kind of wink at sin and just, you know, not make a big deal about it, that it's somehow unloving to, to hate evil. But guys, that's a perverse kind of love, right? It's the same kind of perverse love if a parent was passive and dispassionate about a disease that was overtaking their child's body. You would think that's not love. Neither is it love for us to be totally okay as we see sin that enslaves people that we love. Apathy is not love. I think our culture teaches us that. If we were to in any way show any kind of abhorrence to evil and to sin, that somehow it's not loving. But guys, love means that we hate the sin that enslaves people because we love them and we love God and we love his glory. Real love also holds fast, it says, to what is good. Take a look at verse 9 again. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Paul's using an equally strong word here for how we respond to good things. It says we hold fast to him, we cling to him, we glue ourselves to him. So real love says, I won't let go of you, but you really have to let go of your sin. I won't let go of you, but you need to let go of that, 
Real love knows how to both hate evil and cling to what is good. Secondly, love likes. Take a look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. So the word here is Philadelphia. It's brotherly love. And that word for love one another there, it's a warm familial affection. The word, you know, ESV translates it affection. Real love that we have in here, agape, love for one another, is an actual affection. It isn't just, well, you got to love them. You know, by the way you're saying it, it doesn't sound like you like them. You're like, oh yeah, I love them. But you have to. You know, you got to love them. You got to love that guy. No, this is an affectionate love, guys. A lot of times I'll say to my wife, I'll tell her not just that I love her, but I'll say I like her. I like you. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't it be nice to hear that? You know, I love you and I like you too. I want to tell you guys tonight, I like you guys. Almost all, no, I'm just kidding. Every, <laughs> every single one of you, I totally like you guys. And what's cool as we gather is I can tell that you like each other. And that is what agape is. It's not just the sacrificial love, which makes total sense, but it also includes an affection for each other. You know, you're here because you want to be here, because you miss each other, because you like each other. And I know that God loves seeing that because God's our father and he loves seeing his kids enjoy one another. I don't know if you guys are fathers or mothers, but I love hearing my kids when they're, you know, just together talking to each other or they're just enjoying each other and they go out and do something together. It's like such a great feeling to go like, oh, they like each other. This is so great, you know? And you know our father feels that way about us. He loves to see that we like each other. And and I'll just tell you guys, as I was prepping this message, I was super encouraged because at every one of these points, I see that you guys really do have this agape. I, I felt like Paul, he says this to the Thessalonians. He says, now concerning brotherly love, You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God how to love one another. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. See that? He's like, you guys are doing it, but you guys need to do it more and more. And that's really the spirit of this message. As I was reading this, I was like, man, I really feel like I've experienced this. And I know we've all had different varying experiences in church and stuff, and church can be difficult and church can be hard, but I feel super blessed because I actually like you guys. And I see the love of God within you. So love likes. Love also honors. Take a look at verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love honors. It's funny the way ESV translates this because it implies a bit of competition. Look at it again. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? The Greek is like go ahead of others. It's kind of lead the way in it. Or it could mean compete with each other in it, you know? This is outdo one another in showing honor. I remember years ago, I don't know if Marcelo will remember this, but Marcelo and I and Sabo had lunch together or something like that. And, and this broke out in a way that was insane. As we were affirming one another, it became like an affirmation, like competition. It was like affirmation Olympics. And I came away kind of tired, you know, like, I was like, whoa, that was a lot of affirmation, you know? It was like, well, I see God doing this in you. Oh, well, I see God doing this in you. And it was funny, I came away from it and I was like, wow, that was like intense. And then I thought of this verse and I go, okay, it's biblical. Seemed like there was some sort of competition there. But outdo one another in showing honor. Have you guys thought about that? Have you thought about when you come every night and get together and you're with each other to think about who you could be honoring? You could honor one another? It's such a cool thing. We should be leading the way in showing one another honor in the body. We should be affirming things we could look for. We should look for the gifts of the Spirit in one another, and we should look for the fruit of the Spirit in one another. And when we see it, we should mention it, right? We should say something about it because either one of those things is God at work in the person. 
And it's so encouraging, guys, when somebody doesn't just compliment you, but they say, hey, I see God at work in you in this way. This would have been unusual in this culture. Roman culture is very hierarchical, and it was very much about getting honor for yourself. So this was a strange reversal to prefer to give honor rather than receive it. But that's what he's calling us to do here. And visitors to the Roman church back in the day would have been shocked the way they lived this out. If you look down at verse 16, he says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You can just imagine the shock of a Roman in the first century coming into a, a house church and seeing different classes, you know, see patricians and plebeians and, and slaves in different levels of society that wouldn't normally be together, eating with each other and treating each other as brothers and sisters and outdoing one another and showing honor. It's amazing, huh? Every believer, guys, here, every believer here deserves your honor and your attention because every believer here is the dwelling place of the living God, right? Holy Spirit lives in every Christian. So every Christian that's here, every one of them is the dwelling place of God and has gifts for you from God. And so there's nobody here that we should just think, oh, that person doesn't have anything for me. Oh, there's no reason to really pay attention to that person. Like every single believer is the dwelling place of God. And so when you see God in them, and God isn't silent when he's in somebody, he makes his presence known. When you see that, you should notice it and you should say something, maybe even out loud. You know, you could mention it, right? You could just be like, I see God at work in you in this way. So love honors. Next one, love tries. Take a look at verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Love tries. Love puts in the effort. This part of the passage is calling us not to be lazy in our love for these people. Shouldn't be lazy in our love for these people. We all know, you know those of us who are married, sometimes we get lazy in our love. We need to be really careful in the body not to be lazy in our love for each other. And this is really practical, guys, for the cultural moment we're in right now because it's gotten a lot harder over the last year and a half to just be here for each other, to be present here at this moment with each other every Sunday gathering together. It seems like it takes a lot more effort. It would be so easy, guys, to become kind of a halftime attender or less and just it's laziness, right? It's, you know, he says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. And I know like the sofa has gotten to be so much more of a home to my soul, you know, for me to get up off the sofa and go and join God's people and be with them is like a resurrection. But thankfully we have that power right within us through the spirit, right? Don't be lazy. Don't be slothful. Don't slack. There's people here. They're depending on you. And we know guys to be here for one another is serving Christ. Look at the verse again. It says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Almost always in the New Testament, when you see the Lord, it means Jesus. I don't know if you guys realize that. Almost every time it says the Lord, it's referring to Jesus. Being here and serving one another is serving Jesus. Think about that. I think that's really important to think about. That thought has gotten me through the last year and a half for sure. You remember the exchange with Peter and Jesus after he had fallen and Jesus comes to him and he says, do you love me? You know, one of the times he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. I just love that. 
You know, how do you show Jesus that you love him? How do you show love back for God? He says, feed my lambs, feed my people. So many times I thought like, oh, I'm tired and I'm done. I'm going to retire. <laughs> I don't even do this for a living, so I, I can't. But, um, <laughs> but every time I was tired and stuff like that, you know, to just hear Jesus say, do you love me? You're like, yes, feed my lambs. I'm like, absolutely, right? Think about that. When you think about like, oh, I don't know, I'm kind of tired. I don't know if I want to gather with God's people. Think of Jesus saying, do you love me? Say, of course I love you. Feed my lambs happy to do it. <laughs> There's something about that. I'm just like, yeah, happy to do that. That's not too much to ask at all. And that's what you guys do when you commit to be here every week with God's people. And the fire to be here, I think this text would say comes from the Holy Spirit. It says here, be fervent in spirit. And I don't know if you guys know this, but that word pneuma, it's, it's never totally clear. Well, sometimes very clear. Sometimes it's not so clear whether it should be capitalized or not. Is this fervent in our spirit or is this fervent in the Holy Spirit? I would lean towards capitalizing it because that word fervent means to burn and fire is often associated with the Holy Spirit. I think it makes sense that this text would be saying the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us burn with love for God's people, who stirs up our spirit from our laziness to actually be present for one another. Isn't that awesome? That's the spirit at work in you guys, and I'd love to affirm that. By the power of the Spirit, guys, put in the effort to be present and to love these people. If you do it, you're doing it for Jesus. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We shouldn't say, whether it's in our marriages or in relationships or in the relationship in this church, that we just don't have the power to love one another because you do. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. And so be fervent in spirit. Love tries. Next one. Love endures. Look at verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So we, we see from this passage, love endures. He says rejoice in hope. This is such a cool thing, the rejoice in hope thing, because it turns out the way that we're able to continually like serve the Lord and have the energy to do the things we do is really joy in God. Joy in God is the thing that causes the internal combustion in your heart that causes you to actually follow the Lord uh, faithfully is your joy that you have in him. And what this passage says is that the fuel for that joy is hope. And what's hope? Hope is a certainty about the future. I know a lot of times in our culture, the word hope means it's probably not going to happen. So somebody, you know, hey, are you going to make it? And you text back, I hope so. You can pretty much know they're not coming, right? So that's the opposite of the biblical hope. Biblical hope is a certainty about the future. And what this passage is saying is that because we have this certainty of the world to come, the new heavens, new earth, the resurrected body, being with Jesus, being with one another, because of that hope we have in the future, thinking upon that, savoring those promises causes joy in our hearts that keeps us going. You know, we rejoice in hope. It's as if our hope is really the joy of the future leaking back into the present, that you're getting some of the joy you're going to have in the future in the present as you think about the promises of God. And that's what keeps us going. And, and, and that doesn't mean, though, guys, that we're always upbeat, you know, that we're never sad. Verse 15, it says, we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And, and we know that rejoicing and sorrow can coexist in the same heart. Josh did an excellent job of talking about this in communion last week, and uh, I definitely can't do it better, but Paul said that we're sorrowful yet always rejoicing this so that they can coexist. You can have sadness about what's going on and yet still be buoyed up by joy, your uh, hope in the future, the future of Christ sustaining you. He, he says that this will make us, look at verse 12, patient in tribulation, patient in tribulation. That word for tribulation is really cool. It's 
thalipsi, and it's, it means to squeeze. Tribulation means to be squeezed. You guys relate to that? As relates to difficulties, maybe recent ones? It's the same word that you would use, like if you're going to take olives and put them in a press and squeeze them until the oil comes out. Like that's tribulation. You guys experiencing tribulation? You experienced it recently? He says that we're to be patient in tribulation. And the love that we have, guys, in the church, what we're to be is we're to be a place of refuge and rest for people that are in the olive press right now. And you guys, I hope you're aware enough to know that there's many people right around you that are right now being squeezed just beyond anything they ever thought they could be squeezed before. I think a lot of times we come into the church and we're, you know, thinking just about ourselves and you go, oh, these people all look like they have their lives together. You know, my life's hard, their life's easy. You know, they just come and they just put on a show, put on a smile. And I always think that's funny when people say that because I'm like, have you looked at them? Like, you guys are not good at putting on a show. I don't get that from you at all. I mean, I feel like when you guys come in, I can see it on your faces. And I think if you guys looked really carefully and you prayed for that discernment, you would see it on their faces too. And we need to be on the lookout, guys, for people that are actively right now in tribulation because as a community of agape, we're to be a place of rest and refuge for people that are in tribulation. There's people that it was so hard for them to come tonight, and it wasn't because they were lazy. It was because they were in tribulation. And it was like the, the last thing they could do to be here. You know, do you have that perspective of our body and how much it matters? It matters so much. Be on the lookout for them. And when you find them, verse 12 would say, pray with them. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. One thing I think is so important when we gather, if somebody shares some hardship with you tonight or anytime we gather, immediately pray with them. Don't just say, I'll pray for you because, you know, a lot of times we forget, right? Honestly, pray with them in the moment. Pray with them instantly. And you guys are so good at this. This is another thing I can affirm is that I see tons of prayer going on. A lot more prayer than you might normally see in a, a gathering of believers. It's really cool how everybody's praying for each other. But I mentioned it before, but there's a thing called ninja praying someone, okay, which is something I learned from somebody in our college ministry back in the day. And that's you just pray for them. You're just like, maybe you could ask them. You could say, hey, you mind if I pray for you? Modified ninja praying is like, can I pray for you? And just as a certain answer, you go, Lord, I just asked for, you know, Daniel, that you'll give him this. We had a guy at our college ministry to do that. He would come in to our house and he'd be like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, yeah, work's been really helpful. Lord, help Eric. To, and that's ninja prayer. Like he didn't ask me if I could have it or anything like that. I wanted it. You just went for it. Modified ninja, you ask. So they kind of have a little bit of warning. You go for it. But either way, just pray for them. You know, you can ask them if you want to ask them. Or you could just start praying. It was funny because I ran into that guy's dad because I, I'm a horse vet and his dad had a horse and he had some problems. And I came up to work on his horse. And as I'm walking up, he ninja prayed me. So it was like father and son. It's like handed down through the family. But pray for one another. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> never miss a chance to pray with somebody in suffering. Okay, never miss a chance to do that. We want to be the kind of people that if we heard a burden, we heard a tribulation, we heard a suffering, and we just said, oh, I'll pray for you and walked away, that we'd feel like, oh, that wasn't good. We should have prayed. Never miss a chance to pray with somebody that shares a burden. Love endures. Love shares. Take a look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Love shares. In the Roman Empire, because to become a Christian, you could actually end up losing your livelihood. Remember when we were in the book of Revelation last year, we saw that there were professional guilds. And if you were part of a professional guild, you were expected to offer sacrifices to the deity of that guild. So guess what? You become a Christian, you lose your job. You're not able to be a part of that profession anymore. 
And what would happen in the early times in the, in the Roman Empire, as the people here that we're hearing about from the book of Romans, is that other believers would step in and meet those needs. They would contribute. There was a very practical need for contributing. And I want to let you guys know that you guys meet needs of others in the body more than you know. This year, we've dispersed somewhere between six dollars and $7,000 in needs just in this body, just so far this year, and that's from your giving. So we have a benevolence fund for that. And we asked you guys for names of elders and deacons last week, partly because we need deacons that would administrate that and be able to disperse that in a skillful manner. So this is something that happens. And, and I know you guys give in all kinds of other ways too. You're giving cars to people, you know, that need a car, giving rides to people, giving meals to people. You guys are super generous with each other and it's a huge blessing. But love gives, love shares. Love also welcomes. Take a look at verse 13. Seek to show hospitality. Love welcomes. That word for hospitality there is the word for love of stranger. It's philo-xenia. So philo is like love and xenia is xenophobic. It's stranger. And so hospitality is love of stranger. And hospitality was super important to the, the first century church. It was super dependent on believers opening up their homes because churches often met in homes. And if you had a first-time visitor to a church, guess what? You've got strangers in your house. And so that was a really common thing. Missionaries like Paul would have depended on hospitality from other believers as they traveled. In fact, his plans were to really travel through Rome in the future and then go off to Spain. And hospitality is also, guys, a vital part of our ministry in our church. Aside from this gathering here, most of our other ministry happens in your homes. And it's super cool that you guys open your homes for like dinners and things like that, but also for, for Bible studies and for youth and for young adults. And you guys are constantly actually welcoming strangers into your home might not be something you recognize. Like if you have a Bible study in your house and people come you don't know, you're practicing hospitality right there. That's a love of stranger as a person in your house. And uh, we did college ministry for a really long time. And for about eight years of it, it was in our house. And this was a long time ago. This was over a decade ago. And every once in a while, I'll run into people even at work and they'll say, oh, I know you. I've been in your house. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of weird. You know, like, but we had tons of tons of people we didn't know come through our house. And as you guys open your house for ministry, you're going to have that happen too. And it's, it's something we need to practice. You'll notice here that he says, not just to practice it though, what does he say? He says, pursue it, seek it, right? It takes effort. I think that's a theme in this passage, right? That love for each other takes effort. To practice agape takes effort. So where does that effort come from? Where does the motivation, where does the energy come from? And it comes from knowing the one who is agape. You know the one who is agape. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is agape. God is love. You know him. And what's really cool is that agape, love, became a real man, right? Jesus Christ is, was, and is love come in the flesh, Jesus Christ is love. He represents all the stuff we talked about tonight. He had a love that had perfect hate. <laughs> he had a love that liked. He had a love that honored and tried and endured and shared and welcomed. Jesus is the perfect example of love. And what I want to do with the time we have left is I just want to walk through these and look, think about how Jesus was each one of these. Like Think about how Jesus' love hated evil. Jesus' love for God's glory and for us meant that he hated the sin that enslaved us. Jesus was not apathetic about our sin. He hated it, and he came to destroy it and deliver us from it on the cross. And what's amazing about the cross 
Is the cross was somewhere he could both abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. On the cross, God was able to both hate our sin and hold fast to us. Isn't that amazing? That he could hate our sin perfectly and yet hold fast to us through the cross. What about Jesus' affection? Jesus doesn't just love you if you're a believer. He likes you. <laughs> do, you know, do you guys realize that? I don't know if you guys realize that. He likes you. He's not like, oh, that guy's such a pain. He likes you. We see that in the Gospels. We see Jesus' warm affection for Mary Magdalene and Peter and John. You can tell that Jesus actually enjoyed being with them, right? He was refreshed by their presence. He has that same warm affection for you. Is that hard to believe? He has that warm affection for you, that same warm affection. What about the way that Jesus' love honors us? This is the crazy thing. So Jesus, God himself, was quick to honor others. Isn't that strange? Jesus did that. He honored others. He honored his people. Think about the way he honored Mary as she's sitting at his feet learning from him. Remember how he, he valued her, that Jesus was the first rabbi to choose female students. He honored them in a culture that dishonored them. Or think about the way that Jesus honors us by calling us his own. It says in Hebrews that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Talk about associating with the lowly. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Or how about Jesus' effort, how he tried, how he put in effort to love us. Think about the intense, the intensity of effort that he exercised as he was tempted his entire life in all ways as we are without sin, right? That the, through his whole life, he would endure temptation. He was not slothful. He was building a perfect righteousness for us to receive as a gift, right? For you to receive as a gift. Think about Jesus' endurance and love. Jesus' love endured. Think about the last few weeks of Jesus' life as he, he just kept pushing forward to Jerusalem, even knowing the horrors he would encounter there. How, how he wrestled in the garden in prayer, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and how Jesus endured the cross, holding himself there until he paid your full debt. Jesus' effort. Think about how Jesus' love shares. Jesus gave everything he had, even his own body and life, to give us everything that he has as a gift. And then lastly, see how Jesus welcomes. You know, we think about the cross and you think about Jesus's arms outstretched on the cross. It's a sign of his sincerity and his offer to welcome you to be his. His arms outstretched on the cross and welcome, wanting to welcome you into his home. Jesus is a perfect example of this. And we know him. <laughs> we know him. And I just want to say to those of you who don't know him here tonight, that Jesus is now risen and reigning, and he's making his appeal to you through me right now. Be reconciled to God. Take that as a word straight from Jesus. Be reconciled to God. Will you lay down your rebellion against him and take him as your savior, and you'd be forgiven, and you'd have him as your constant companion? And if that's something you don't want, I would just ask you, what in the world would be keeping you from that kind of love tonight? Seriously. With what I just described, your resistance to him, it's not right. It's strange, right? If Jesus loves you like that, and he does, and yet you won't repent and come to him, you've got to ask yourself, what in the world is keeping you from wanting love like that, right? He's for you tonight. Call out to him, and he will save you. And he'll fill you with his spirit. And then he'll give you the kind of love for others you've never had. Jesus said that this love, this agape, that he would fill you with it. And that that's what will win over the world. And as we saw earlier, that's what won over Rome. It worked. 
It can work in us as well. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so that the world may believe that the Father sent me. It's the love. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your love for us. In this is love, not that we loved you, but that you loved us and gave your son for us. And we're amazed by it. I just pray, Lord, that there be nobody here that would leave this place leaving that love here and not wanting to receive that love from you. And I just pray that whatever is holding them back, whatever sin has entangled them, whatever has got a hold of their desires, we just pray that you would open up their hand to release that thing and that they would take those hands and they would reach them out to you, asking for you to save them, to make them new. And we pray for all of us who are believers, Lord. We want more of this love. Lord, you have definitely shown this love in this body, and yet we want to do so more and more. So we pray, Lord, as we take communion, that you would stir us again of your love for us. We pray, Lord, that you would feed us in it. We pray, Lord, that it would be true spiritual food and true spiritual drink to our souls, that you would strengthen us to love one another. We pray, Lord, as we are here together after service and we spend time together fellowshipping, Lord, we just pray that we would be a massive blessing to one another through your spirit, that this really would be that place that you've described in your word. We know that it can be. We know that you desire it to be. We pray that it would be. So thankful for you, Lord. We pray that you would um, receive this worship from hearts that love you back. In Christ Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.